0: Welcome to the Bible Truth Podcast with Ron and Tim Reynolds, pastors and Bible teachers. Pastor Ron and Pastor Tim combined for more than 70 years of teaching and preaching God's Word. Listen now as they share the eternal truths of the Bible. Hello friends, welcome to Bible Truth for Living. This is your host, Pastor Tim Reynolds. Today we're going to begin a three-part series Titled, United We Stand, I'm reading from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, "'If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind.' Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. The Associated Press recently published an article titled, Country Grows More Polarized, Greatest Divide in Modern History. I think we can all agree that America is divided in several areas. Uh, There was a great division during the Civil War, uh, if you've studied U.S. history at all. Probably during the 1960s and 70s with the Vietnam War, the, the country was certainly divided, But we're divided in a lot of different areas today. Personally, I believe that some in the mainstream media and even in the political arena are encouraging this division, but we're a divided nation. You know, anytime you have division and dissension, uh, you have problems, and they can occur anywhere. You can have this in a nation. You can have division uh, in a business, in a family, in a marriage, and yes, even within a church. You know, Satan wants to divide any church in order to get it off its mission of Reaching people for Jesus. Boy, he'll use everything to do that. He'll attack the authority of God's word. He'll uh, use the area of finances to create division. Sometimes it's personality conflict. Sometimes it's preferences. Even something as simple as the color of the carpet can create division uh, in the church. Now, 6th century BC Greek storyteller Aesop, you've heard of Aesop's fables, he is credited with coining the phrase, United we stand, divided we fall. Aesop apparently understood that unity is the key to both power and productivity. You see this in the sports arena. I like following sports. And, uh, you know, a team that is unified, they call it having team chemistry. Everybody's getting along, they work well together, they'll have a successful season. But all it takes is one malcontent, a little bit of division in the locker room, can have even a lot of talent. But if the players are not unified, uh, they will not be very successful. So in the text that we're looking at in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is encouraging this church in Philippi that he had founded to maintain their unity, to have chemistry within the local church. Uh, I think these things we're going to look at over the next uh, three uh, series, three lessons, Uh, will be things that can be applied not only in church, and that's the primary application, but I think even within the home, within the workplace, these things can uh, be applied. Now, before I get into the message, I do want to point out in verse 1 of chapter 2, Paul says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ. What is the therefore, therefore? Well, the word therefore is a conjunction. It joins together. Uh, you could say uh, it's hot. Therefore, I turned on the air conditioning. All right, so it's a a conjunction. <laughs> Whenever I was a kid, uh, they had something on uh, during the cartoons on Saturdays. Uh, Schoolhouse Rock. Maybe you remember that conjunction junction. Watch your function. All right, conjunction. That's what the word therefore is, which means that verse 1 is something that uh, connects with something in the prior chapter. Well, what is that? Well, uh, it's in chapter 1, verse 27. Paul says, only let your conversation or your way of living, your lifestyle, be as becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or if I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast, here it is, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So what he shares in chapter one, he's going to continue and tell us how to do that in chapter two, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're just going to take uh, take apart verse one, and look at the appeal for unity. This is a unity formula. I think there are four ingredients here in this unity formula that Paul wants us to know were demonstrated by the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, he mentions the consolation of Christ. He says, "If there be therefore any consolation." In Christ, The word console means to empathize and encourage. It doesn't just mean to feel sorry for, but to encourage to go forward. Hebrews 4 and verse 15 tells us, "...we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, yet without sin." So Christ can, can empathize with us because He is God who came in human form to live among men and uh, so he can give us that consolation. Uh, Whenever I was in high school, I played basketball, and if I had a bad game, my dad would console me. Uh, It wasn't that he would, uh, you know, feel sorry for me, and I'd have a pity party, but he would uh, say, son, it'll be all right. You'll do better next game, and maybe even tell me about a game he uh, didn't play so well. Maybe you have had a teenager who's had a broken heart, and you console them. You tell them it's going to be okay. They'll find another boyfriend or girlfriend. That's what consolation is. Now, Christ. Christ demonstrated this consolation uh, to us. Listen, please, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 16. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Consolation and hope go together. Hebrews 6 and verse 18 says, we have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. So Christ demonstrated it. You and I, as believers, are to duplicate it, much like a child tries to duplicate uh, maybe dad's walk or uh, mom's uh, fashion style, whatever it is. uh, The child of God should duplicate God's character, and that's what we're talking about here. You have a man that did that by the name of Barnabas in Acts chapter 4. In fact, the apostles named him the Son of Consolation, which means the Son of Encouragement. Did you know we would not have the Apostle Paul if it were not for Barnabas? Yeah. You see, Paul, before he got saved, he was, he was called Saul, and uh, he persecuted the church. But when he was saved, he was converted on the road to Damascus he began to desire to preach the gospel. Well, uh, the uh, other apostles were a little bit wary of him because he was a known murderer and persecutor of Christians. And it was Barnabas that stepped in and encouraged Paul and the other apostles and said, hey, he's he's all right. He's on our side. And so that's a great duplication of what Christ has demonstrated for us. So the first ingredient in the unity formula is in. Encouragement. Let me ask you, are people encouraged by you? When people are around you, are they encouraged by your words and your presence, or are they discouraged? Are you more negative in the things that you say, or are you an encouragement? How about at home? Are you encouraged, an encouragement to your husband or to your wife? Are you an encouragement to your children? Children, are you an encouragement to your parents? Are you an encouragement at work? When you go into work, do you go in with a pleasant personality, or do you come in sort of dragging, complaining about things? and don't want to be here, and oh, it's Monday. How about at church, when you go to church? Church should be a place of encouragement. You know, it's too sad when a church gets a reputation of being a discouraging place rather than encouraging. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.25 that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but we are to Uh, exhort one another. The word exhort means encourage one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. So as we get closer to the return of the Lord, we need to gather more as a body of believers and encourage one another because, beloved, listen, there's enough discouragement out there in this old world. We need to be there to encourage, not discourage one another. All right. So you see the consolation of Christ. And then number two, we see the comfort of Christ. Paul continues back in our text of Philippians 2 verse 1, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, number two, if any comfort of love. Comfort is a byproduct of love. Much like a mother will comfort a baby, she loves that baby, so she wants to comfort. Now, love is what uh, what God grants to unworthy sinners in order to produce salvation. You see, it's the love of God that comforts the sinner and brings the sinner to salvation. God is not waiting for you and I to clean our act up uh, to love us. He loved us from the beginning. In fact, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God commendeth or demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. You see, we uh, come into this world as sinners, separated from God, and the Bible even says we are enemies of God. we must be reconciled to God God doesn 't have to be reconciled to us; we are reconciled to Him. How does that happen through the the blood of Jesus Christ, when we repent of our sin? It is Jesus that brings us to the Father. So Jesus demonstrates this comfort. Now, since you have this comfort of love demonstrated by Christ, again, we are to duplicate what Christ has demonstrated. Listen, please, now to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation, the satisfactory uh, sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, and we know that he did, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Jesus said in John thirteen thirty five, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. You see, that's the that's the key right there. That's the sign that you've been saved is that you love other Christians. If you can't stand to be around Christian people, if if you get miserable when you go to church, I'd wonder about my salvation because uh, we're to, we're called to love one another. Why? Because God loved us, and so now we we duplicate what He has demonstrated. So the second ingredient in the unity formula is comfort. That is produced by love. Are you a comfort to others? Are you a loving person? Do you seek uh, to give comfort or do you seek comfort for yourself? You know, sad to say, the church has become that way today. Many uh, people look for a church that's going to give them comfort and give them help and them programs, and if it all uh, serves me, then I'll go to that church. Well, that's not what the church is for. The church, church is not to give us comfort. We're to, through the local church, give comfort out to other people, and uh, so that's the principle there. You know, it's kind of like the Dead Sea in Israel. The Dead Sea is dead because it's always taking in, but it never gives anything out, And uh, we don't want to do that. We want to make sure that, that we are giving out comfort rather than just taking it in. The third ingredient in the unity formula back to our text is the communion of Christ. Listen again to verse one, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, number three, if any fellowship of the spirit, that word fellowship is communion. Now, if you take the word communion and break it up, you have calm, C-O-M, that means with or together. Union means one and undivided, communion. So communion is one together or with Uh, together, undivided. You see, that's the purpose of the Lord's Supper. We call the Lord's Supper communion. What is the purpose of that? Well, of course, it's to uh, remember the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ, but it is also meant to give unity to the church as we together are uh, remembering what Jesus has done. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated this fellowship or this communion. Listen now to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7. The Bible says, "...for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost." We call that the Godhead or the Trinity, and these three are one. You see, the demonstration of communion is in the Godhead itself. There is fellowship, communion, and unity between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. I have come to do the will of my Father. The Holy Spirit will come and will will glorify me, and so they work in tandem together. You don't have the Father on his agenda and the Son on another agenda and the Holy Spirit on another one, they are unified. They, they, They demonstrate unity and communion and fellowship. Well, again, we are to duplicate that. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. You think of a local church. All right, um, I, I have the opportunity of pastoring two churches, Mount Vernon Baptist Temple and Waltonville Community Church. And I can tell you within those two local churches, we have a collection of different types of people. There are various ages, uh, personalities, preferences, backgrounds, experiences, abilities, gifts, different spiritual levels. There are different statuses regarding finances A lot of different things. And then think about this. Within the local church, you have all these differences, and then you ask people to volunteer to serve, and we pass around an offering plate and say, by the way, uh, give to the Lord's work. Now, there—that that is not the prescription for a, a secular business model, all right? That's why the church is not a business. It's not an organization. It's an organism, living organism, uh, working in tandem together. So let me tell you this, and, and I've been in the ministry long enough to to know this as a fact, it is too difficult to maintain unity by natural means. A pastor can't do that himself. The deacons cannot do that. How does it happen? Well, only spirit-filled Christians can dwell in unity. You know, you think of the the example of the uh, apostles. I'll just give you three of them. You take the apostle Peter. All right. Peter was a doer. You know, he was ready to do whatever he was asked to do. He was impulsive. Sometimes he was brash and sometimes he jumped the gun on some things, but you got to give it to him. Uh, Peter was motivated and uh, he didn't just sit back in the background. John was a little different. John was a little uh, more low key, um, sort of a sensitive nature. In fact, you see in the upper room uh, where Jesus is observing the last Passover. The Bible says it was John who was leaning on Jesus. Breast. He was a he was more of a, a sensitive type of person. And then you take Thomas. Thomas was a doubter. Uh, you could say Thomas was from Missouri. He was show me, you know, show me the, the nail prints in his hands and in his feet. Uh, he, he wasn't certain when the resurrected Christ, they said he's come. I want to see him for myself. And so you have all these different personalities, and there were others, but they were all used of God. Aren't you glad God uses different types of personalities? He doesn't have put us all in one box. We have different gifts and preferences and personalities, but the way it works is you have to be spirit-filled. Now, let me explain this to you. When we talk about being spirit-filled, I think, first of all, we need to understand that the initial, um, well, how do I put this? The, the initial connection we have with the Holy Spirit is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that takes place at salvation, all right? Let me read this to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 13. The Bible says, For by one Spirit, referring to the Holy Spirit, are we all baptized into one body. Now, baptism there is not referring to water baptism, all right? Water baptism doesn't save us. It's our outward testimony that we have trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the first act of obedience for every believer. But I'm talking here about a spiritual baptism, uh, you said, maybe you never heard it put that way. Well, that's what happens. When you get saved, your spirit is made alive by the Holy Spirit, and you are baptized into the body of Christ. The Bible goes on and says, whether we are Jews or Gentiles, bond or free, uh, in another letter, Paul says, male or female, doesn't make any difference. We have all been made to drink into one spirit. So when you get saved, and when I was saved as a young person, the Holy Spirit of God, uh, indwelt, all right. And that is a a permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. All right. The Bible says we are sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. But then the the second connection we have with the Holy Spirit is what we call the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, the indwelling is a one time act. All right, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit at salvation. The filling of the Holy Spirit is a daily performance that requires something out of us. Listen to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So he's given us here some information telling us this is something we are required to do. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. You have a choice here. Speaking to yourselves, here's how you do that, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things and to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have several things here. You have speaking to yourselves, which means that it's hard to be spirit-filled and not be around other Christians. You know, I've heard people say, well, I can, I can get my church out on the boat. Well, you know, you can be with God then, but you can't be with God's people, And we're commanded to be with God's people. He says, do this together, collectively. In in Psalms, reading of God's Word, studying God's Word. In hymns, songs, uh, singing, making melody, giving thanks. Are you a thankful person? All of these things involve the filling of the Spirit. You might think of it this way. You, You have an automobile. The engine would be the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You can't go anywhere without the engine, but the fuel is the filling of the Holy Spirit. You know, you have to stop at the gas station once in a while and put fuel in the vehicle or it runs low. How do you get fuel? How do you get that filling of the Holy Spirit? You do that by listening to programs like this. You go to church, you get involved, you serve, you give of your tithes and offerings, uh, you study your Bible, you pray, you witness. All of these ways are, are ways to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But I'm telling you, if you only do that on Sunday morning, you're going to really run low by uh, the end of the week. This is a daily thing that we must do not to be saved, but to be spirit filled so that we can do, we can duplicate what Christ has demonstrated. So number three, communion is the third ingredient of the unity formula. Let me give you number four and I'm done back to Philippians chapter two and verse one. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, here's the last one, if any bowels and mercies, this is the compassion of Christ. bows and mercies refers to a deep feeling of affection. You know, Jesus loved people and had compassion for people. Uh, It's all over the Gospels. I'm just going to share some some with you quickly uh, that I pulled out from the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew 9 and verse 36 says, "...but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion." On them, Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 14. Give me just a second to get to it. Here it is. Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. Chapter 15, verse 32 says, Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude. Chapter 20 and verse 34 Jesus makes this statement, he says, or or the, the Bible rather tells us, so Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. So you see this demonstrated throughout the Gospels, the compassion of Jesus Christ toward people. Now again, we are to duplicate what Christ has demonstrated. We are to duplicate the same compassion for people that Christ demonstrated for people. How do we do that? Well, I think the greatest example we have is the story Jesus gives in Luke chapter 10 that we often call the Good Samaritan story. Listen to this, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Bible says in Luke 10, verse 30, "...and Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead." And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, we need to understand, here's a guy who's been beaten, his clothes are torn, he's bleeding, he's left there on the road for dead. Here comes a religious man, and he sees the guy, and he goes the other way. He doesn't want to get involved. You know, I'm busy, I don't want to get involved, maybe someone else will help. Verse 32. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Now, this guy took it just a little bit further. He's a Levite to get another religious man. He comes over and he sort of looks over the guy. And well, I'm sure he thought, well, I feel sorry for him. He must have had a rough way to go, uh, but I don't have time to help him. Maybe somebody else will do that. Well, you know, two guys here, religious guys haven't helped. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan. Now, Jesus uses the Samaritan on purpose because many of the Jews did not like the Samaritans. I don't have time to get into the history of that, but they were considered a half-Jew, half-Gentile person, and the Jews would go the other way. They would cross the road on the other side. They would do whatever to avoid connection with a Samaritan. But listen to what the Samaritan did. As he journeyed, he came where he was, so he met the man in his condition. You know, too many times we try to change people and then think uh, that's when God can help them. No, we have to meet people where they are, just as I am, as the hymn goes. He came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. There it is. There, There's the duplication. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an end and took care of him. So, I mean, this guy really goes the extra mile. The next day on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said, take care of him. And whatever you spend more, when I come back, I will repay thee. I mean, this guy is going above and beyond. Jesus says, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor to him that fell among the thieves? Was it the priest? Was it the Levite? Was it the Samaritan? In verse 37, and he said, "...he that showed mercy or compassion on him." Then said Jesus unto him, "...go and do thou likewise." We are to duplicate what Jesus has demonstrated. That is the fourth ingredient in the unity formula. Each one of these qualities, consolation and comfort and communion and compassion, was demonstrated by Jesus and are to be duplicated by Christians. Beloved, we are to be conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ all the time. We ought to look more like him. I'll close with a story. A man with a facial deformity who grew up very lonely and ostracized, often laughed at, one day... Uh, out just on it in in a little market found what was called a beauty mask and he put on that beautiful mask and it fit and it made him go from an ugly facial deformed guy to a very handsome man and boy whenever he put that mask on all of a sudden he made a lot of friends he eventually fell in love and uh, boy everything was going real good. But an evil woman from his past determined to embarrass him and reveal his true identity, the man behind the mask. Well, in front of all of his friends and his now fiance, the man was forced to take the mask off. But when he removed the mask, what what was interesting was that it revealed a handsome face behind the mask. What happened? His face had conformed to the mask. And so now the once, man that nobody wanted to be around and that laughed out was just as handsome because he wore that mask. Now, what's the, what's the point of that story? Well, that's the same thing that applies to you and I. You know, before we met Christ, we had an ugly past. We, things were not attractive about us. We were going our own way. But whenever we put on Christ, all of a sudden we have a beautiful present and future. How? Because we begin to form, conform rather, to the Lord Jesus Christ. We should look more like Jesus, act more like Jesus, talk more like Jesus all the time. And when we do that, the result is unity, unity in our churches, unity in our homes, unity in our places of work. And it's all by duplicating what Jesus has demonstrated for us. Well, I pray the message is a help to you. We'll bring part two in our next uh, program. So I hope you can tune in then. Thanks so much for being a part of Bible Truth for Living. I look forward to being with you next time. Until then, this is Pastor Tim Reynolds saying, May God bless you is my prayer.